is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I've got a question for you. What do you think would actually fix things in Washington, D.C. faster right now? You could push a button, wave a magic wand, turn a switch, and make one thing happen in D.C. I'm going to give you a choice, A or B. We all like term limits, right? Well, let's talk term limits for a minute. Would you like to see term limits for elected officials? Would that change Washington, D.C.? Or how about term limits for federal workers? How about term limits for the bureaucrats? How about term limits... For the deep state, what do you think would make a bigger difference right now in Washington? Actually get things going. 877-381-3811. That's 877-381-3811. It's the Mark Levin Show, and I'm Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one today. Who am I? Well, I'm a radio guy. I do radio every day on WMAL in Washington, D.C., afternoons 3 to 6. I'm right after Rush and right before Mark Levin, so like you, well, I'm a Mark Levin show listener, and I love listening to Mark Levin. I get to hear him every day in my studio. As I wrap things up, he takes over, and uh, he, well, truly is the great one. Uh, very honored and excited to fill in for him for the first time, and a Happy New Year to all of you. And I love to get things going right off the bat with a question and a conversation, because that what's make, that's what makes talk radio different. It's what makes what we do different than all the other media, is that you get to call in and tell me that I'm full of it. You get to call in and say, no, you're wrong. Wouldn't you like to pick up the phone and tell Anderson Cooper how wrong he is? Wouldn't you love to be able to send a tweet to Wolf Blitzer? Well, you probably can, but he doesn't read it. He's got people who read those things for him. Does anyone think Wolf Blitzer actually knows how to use Twitter? I don't think so. He barely can read his teleprompter. No. What we do here in talk radio is the most vital and most important kind of media, especially when it comes to politics in America, because you have a say. You're part of what we do here. And I think this is a great conversation to start things off with. What would make a bigger difference in Washington, D.C.? Term limits for politicians or term limits for the deep state. 877-381-3811. I've always liked term limits. I've liked the idea of term limits. However, however, I think that if term limits were a great idea, our founders would have put them in in the first place. Now, I know after the fact we instituted term limits for the president. Uh, that had more to do with Franklin Roosevelt breaking tradition and being so full of hubris that he couldn't think the republic could, republic could, could last uh, any longer than having another president other than him through uh, World War II and what have you. I mean, I mean, it was really arrogance that brought us Roosevelt for uh, four terms, and it was arrogance that forced term limits onto the presidency because no one up until FDR actually thought that uh, they should stretch beyond what George Washington had already set as a precedent for our great nation. Uh, but setting that aside for a moment, I do like the idea of voters ultimately having the final say in who their elected officials might be. I mean, that is the ultimate term limit. It isn't, and I know the great one already has worked into uh, his idea uh, in, in uh, the, his last book, or the second to last book that he wrote. He talked about uh, some of the liberty amendments that we could put into this Constitution to fix things because they're certainly broken, and one of them has to do with term limits for elected officials. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But I think we've learned over this past year exactly how deep the deep state is. I think that we've learned how powerful the bureaucracy is. I think we've learned that changing elected officials, sadly, doesn't always fix the problem. 
because the deep state and the bureaucracy and the federal workers control so much in Washington, D.C. Now, I've lived in the district for five years now doing my show on WMAL, but I lived many years in the state of California, Southern California. That's where I first met Andrew Breitbart. That's where he first found me, discovered me, and started me on my blogging, writing, and broadcast career. And we instituted term limits in California, and it was the same idea. We were so sick of the same Democrats running things out of Sacramento. We were so sick of the same people institutionalized because of the gerrymandering, because of the districts. Sacramento wouldn't move, it wouldn't change, it wouldn't budge, so we put term limits in. And you know what ended up happening? The staff ends up running things. The lobbyists end up running things. The special interests end up running things. In fact, because you force these elected officials out because of term limits, you actually end up instituting the business of government outside the voice of the people, outside of the elections. And that's just as bad, if not worse. Now, federal workers, a lot of them are in my audience. I mean, it's hard to be anti-federal worker and grow an audience in Washington, D.C., let's face it, Northern Virginia and Maryland. Uh, the people who live there, they often work in our government, and they're good people. And they're trying to get something done. And each and every one of them, when they call in and talk about the problems that they see every day at work, they often tell me about what they could fix if they could turn that switch or push that button or wave that magic wand. They see the bloat. They see the waste. They see the inefficiency. It's not their fault. They're good people who work on our government. But at the same time, they, for the most part, have a pretty good deal. I mean, I'm looking at a great reporting here at the Washington Examiner by Paul Bedard. Uh, he points out that because of a new raise that federal workers have received starting next year, uh, get this, the top pay, the cap on the top pay for a general service employee, which covers most bureaucrats, will be $164,000. For senior executive service employees, they'll be allowed to earn a maximum of $189,600. The average federal worker last year, earned a salary of $86,000 plus benefits. The total compensation package for the average federal worker now is $123,000. Compare that to an average non-federal government salary, which is fifty-eight grand. total compensation package, sixty-nine grand. So almost twice as much in salary and benefits go to federal workers versus you and me just working out here in the regular uh, 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 non-government world, in the private sector. So I think that we've been pretty generous through our representatives in, in rewarding people who work for our federal government. How about they give a little back? How about we say this? Okay, you've got a great deal. We're going to give you a great salary. We're going to give you great package uh, benefits. You can only work in this job for, say, 12 years. Then after that, you roll out, you find another job. Okay, you had a great run, you had made some great money, much better than most Americans, but now you have to move on and work in the real world. What would be wrong with that? And would that help fix things? I think it would. I'd like to hear from you at 877-381-3811 here on the Mark Levin Show. Let's start with Brandon, Springfield, Missouri. What do you think, Brandon? It's a, it's a radical idea, but I like radical ideas. Oh, all right, Brandon, we'll get to you in a minute. We're having a, a, a slight technical problem. By the way, while we're, while we're fixing that, I want to remind you, I am, uh, even though I'm from Washington and I broadcast and live in Washington, this is a holiday week for a lot of people, and I, like many people in this country, I'm visiting my family, my new family, my in-laws, in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, right in the middle of the country, right in the heart of it all, and boy, is it great 
to be here. Broadcasting, by the way, from the mighty, the legendary KTOK, the big, big, powerful 1000 AM radio station that carries Mark Levin and so many of your favorite radio programs, your talk radio shows here in Oklahoma City. So I just wanted to thank KTOK for being such a great host for me. It's great to be here and great to be in Oklahoma. I think we've seen from this year, from the, the president's efforts, you know, a lot of us voted for President Trump, not because he was our first choice, not because he was our second choice. I, I like to say he was my final choice. In the primary process, I went through a couple of different. By the time I actually got to vote in the state of Maryland, I had three choices. I had John Kasich, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump. And, and at that time, when I was faced with that choice, I voted for Senator Ted Cruz. Uh, for various reasons, it had nothing to do with being against Donald Trump, but I found myself more aligned and uh, and 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 connected with Senator Ted Cruz uh, in terms of my political ideology and in terms of the you know the ability and intelligence of someone who could really understand our constitution, our freedoms, our liberties, and get things done. That being said, listen, we had a fair and and uh, heated and lively primary process in the Republican Party, and Donald Trump won. So he was my last choice, and I didn't regret that vote from at any moment. I was happy to vote for him that day. And many of us were happy to vote for Donald Trump for a lot of different reasons. One of them was because he was an outsider, because he promised to come in and actually fix, change, and radically upturn what was going on in Washington, D.C. So many of those things that were driving us insane. And frankly, in retrospect, he may have been the only choice to really effectively get that done because he was so far outside the beast that is Washington, D.C. But look at what we've seen this year. I mean, listen, yes, he's gotten a lot done in terms of reversing the regulations that President Obama put through, so many of them through executive action, so that they could be easily reversed. But he is being resisted every step of the way. And and a little later in the program, uh, we're going to talk uh, so much about what we're seeing with regard to the Justice Department, with regard to the FBI, and the roadblocks that are going up in front of this president in a highly political way. Uh, you're seeing the Justice Department, uh, the storied, fabled Justice Department of the United States of America, in many people's opinions, being used in in the grossest political way to stop a duly elected president. There's nothing more frightening to many of us than that. And that's how strong the bureaucracy in D.C. appears to be to many of us. I mean, if Trump can't upend the bureaucracy, no one can. Which lends me to think the only way we can take this government back is to actually set up some some radical ideas. That being possibly term limits, not just for elected officials, but for employees as well. All right, we've got our phones back. Let's go to Brandon, Springfield, Missouri. Brandon, you're on the Mark Levin Show. Hey, how's it going? Hey, good. What do you think? Um, I think uh, term limits for the bureaucracy for sure. I don't know about elected officials per se. Um, I think that's kind of up to the voters, you know, if they're paying attention to their to their voting for and everything. So. Do you think it's a fair trade-off to say, listen, you know, you're going to make fine money while you're a federal worker, and God knows it's nearly impossible to fire a federal worker, and I'd love to radically change those rules as well. But while you've got the gig, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to get better benefits than most Americans. The only deal is you got to get out. Right. I, I, I'm with you, Brandon. I, I think it's a good way to go, and I don't think it's going to, you know, a lot of people would say, well, we want the best and the brightest to work in the federal government. Do you think we got the best and the brightest now? I mean, uh, oh. no, definitely not. <laughs> All right, Brandon. Happy New Year to you in Springfield, Missouri. I appreciate it. All right. 
Uh, we'll continue with uh, you in a moment. I want to hear what you have to say. God knows you've heard what I have to say about this. Uh, so keep it right here on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor, gladly, proudly sitting in for the great one. More in a moment from you. Do you want to have term limits for bureaucrats, not just elected officials? 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Sitting in for Mark Levin today, the 28th of December. Happy New Year to one and all. Uh, a couple more things you're going to learn about me over the next few hours in terms of my uh, radio stylings. I'm a little ADD. I like changing topics. I like uh, coming up with a lot of different things to talk about. Uh, but one through line you might see, at least for the first couple of hours of tonight's program, is the deep state and and, and things that are going on in Washington, D.C. that are contrary to what you, the American people, want, expect, and, oh, by the way, voted for. Uh, and to that end, uh, coming up in the next half hour, we're going to speak with a great journalist here in D.C., Lee Smith. He wrote an article at Tablet Magazine that all conservatives in Washington are talking about. It has to do with how Obama's deep state continues and how the media is working with them in this regard, uh, specifically about the topic of a great report showing that Obama's uh, administration basically put a halt to investigations and prosecutions of the terrorist group Hezbollah because they really wanted that Iran nuclear deal. We'll we'll talk about that coming up in the next half hour. But right now I want to continue this conversation. How do you fix it? We're about solutions, aren't we? We're conservatives. We don't just sit around and complain and whine and moan. No. We see a problem. We come up with ideas to fix it. And we've often said we need term limits because we got to get those elected officials out of D.C. That'll make a difference. But we've seen how deep the deep state is. We've seen how strong the bureaucracy is, how absolutely immovable it can be at times. And you can bring in different players and bring in politicians. My God, we were so angry that we elected Donald Trump to fix things, and he's having problems with it, too. In fact, the deep state is rising up and trying to impeach the guy. So how about we put term limits on federal workers? 877-381-3811. Let's go to Johnny, Kingston, Arizona. Johnny, you are on the Mark Levin Show. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. Good. What do you think? Uh, my name My name is Tony Mangelli. I'm from South Orange, New Jersey. Oh, all right. I had you uh, from Kingston, Arizona. That's okay. That's, tell me what your opinion is. Uh, well, my opinion is when Lois Lerner took the fifth, testified, and I got a full pension, and... Uh, Barack Obama said not a smidgen. That was the end of democracy. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was obstruction of justice right there. Yeah, remember when Obama, not, not, that was a Bill O'Reilly interview. It was before the Super Bowl, if I remember right. Uh, and he said, is there corruption? There's no corruption there. There's not even a smidgen of corruption. And right. boy, that's, that sent the signal. I'll give you one more. What about when uh, Obama was interviewed on 60 Minutes about Hillary Clinton using emails? Uh, using her own email server, and he was asked about that, and he said, listen, what I can tell you is she never had any intent to uh, break yeah. the law. And that that was the message to James Comey, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, but, but when Lois, uh, yeah, how could you take the fifth testify and get a full pension, and they cost again, and they just let it go uh, Thanks, brother. by the boards? Right? You're right, uh, and this is what, and I appreciate the call. Thanks for calling. Uh, that's another reason why many of us are frustrated or, at the very least, concerned and curious about Jeff Sessions as attorney general and wondering why uh, investigations into those things are not moving forward. In fact, by the way, just as a way of introduction, you might know me from 
uh, an interview I did with President Trump in the White House in November when I asked him specifically, many people are frustrated why these things haven't been investigated. And it made a little news because he did the natural human thing. He said, yeah, I'm frustrated that it's not happening. I'm frustrated that I can't get a special counsel to investigate uh, Hillary and the emails and all the things that happened under Obama. And, and somehow that was seen as is controversial. Uh, Tom, in the District of Columbia, you are on the Mark Levin Show. Tom, uh, what do you think about uh, term limits for federal workers? Uh, you know, Larry, you and I usually agree on a lot of things, but this one I'm going to have to take you to task on. All right. This is wrong on so many levels, I don't even know where to begin. First of all, yes, there is expertise. You want to dump all your FBI agents and have newbies all the time? You want to dump all the intelligence officers and have newbies all the time? What about NTSB? <clears throat> What about the National Transportation Board who does aircraft and uh, train wreck? These people have expertise filter over years. Very, very good workers. You're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Also, let the comparison, Mark Levin, I've tried to get through to Mark on this because he's made the same arguments. You're so off on the numbers for dollars. You're comparing apples and oranges. You're comparing the average American income across the country with federal workers, where do most of the federal workers work and live? I'm right here in the Washington, D.C. area. Let me tell you, I'm a GS-13. My wife is in the private sector. I probably make less than a lot of, we make less than a lot of our counterparts who are two government workers. Tom, I'm glad your voice was able to be heard on that, and I get what you're saying. Actually, you're making another case for an argument that I have, which is we should now move the federal capital to Oklahoma, where it's a little more affordable. Radio's principal patriot. Call in now at 877-381-3811. Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. And uh, listen, you'll learn more about me as the afternoon goes on. I'm not that important. Though the topics are important. You're important. And uh, how we get something done in this country is important. That's sort of the overriding theme of these first couple of hours of the Mark Levin Show this evening. Uh, about the deep state, about fixing Washington, D.C. and uh, draining the swamp. And the media is a big part of that. And a story has developed over the last two weeks that you all should know about. I know that Mark talked about it a little bit. And I've heard uh, Ben Shapiro, uh, as well as Dan Bongino, hitting on it as well over the last several days. Uh, and I want to hit on it as well, uh, along with a friend of mine and a great reporter in Washington, D.C., Lee Smith. He wrote uh, the definitive article about Josh Meyer's Politico investigation over the Obama administration and the great pains they went to to ensure that they got their Iran nuclear deal. He wrote it at Tablet Magazine. It's a great article. You can find it on my Twitter feed at Larry O'Connor. And Lee Smith joins us now. Lee, how are you? And Happy New Year. I'm doing well. Happy New Year to you, Larry. And thanks for having me on. It's a real, uh, it's a real pleasure and an honor. Thanks. Listen, I am not overstating the case at all of the conservatives I know in Washington, D.C., uh, never-Trumpers, pro-Trumpers, you know, a little bit of both. Everyone in the Beltway is talking about this article in particular. Let's start at the beginning. Briefly talk about Josh Meyer's uh, very good investigative piece of Politico and what it showed. Well, I, 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 I should say, I mean, I, I very much appreciate your kind words, but I mean, credit really goes to Josh Meyer here, who's working on a 13,000 word piece for I assume it took several months. It's a, it's a fantastic and detailed piece about the about how the Obama administration basically thwarted uh, a number of cases the DA the DEA had against different Hezbollah operatives around the world. I mean it's 
these guys are an international threat in Latin America, in Asia, in Europe, as well as, uh, as, well as the Middle East. And so Meyer, in very careful fashion, details what happened here. Um, and the response to Meyer's piece, I mean, you might have seen it on Twitter. M- many people were Many people were thrilled. This was revelatory. They yeah. recognized the fantastic piece of journalism. Well, and, and other Lee, people, yeah. yeah. Before we get to those other people, before we get to the pushback right. on this, there's a couple of things sure. I do want to point out about uh, Josh Meyer's okay. piece. The first is, yes, he put a, the Obama administration, according to this article in Politico, put a halt to a DEA investigation showing this this big, huge international drug lane that was funding Hezbollah. Right. But the purpose, yeah. and people went on the record, Lee. I mean, yeah. talk about I mean, yeah. how many anonymous source stories have made huge headlines this year? But right. this actually, people went on the record saying the reason was because John Kerry and Barack Obama didn't want to upset the mullahs of Iran. They were okay keeping a drug deal funding Hezbollah terrorists out there and going as long as they got their Iran nuclear deal. That was the motivation, right? Right. Yeah. That was the point. I mean, you know, that, that, that was exactly the point. I mean, they, they basically uh, put, they prioritized the Iran deal over everything else in terms of foreign policy, not just the Middle East. It was, it was American foreign policy in general. So uh, as it turns out, as Josh Myers reported, as he reported back in April, they let a number of Iranian agents go who were caught yep. doing things here in the United States. And now he reports uh, eight months later, they did the same thing with Hezbollah operatives. So, yes, this is what happened. It was for the sake of what the president, uh, what President Obama believed was his signature foreign policy achievement, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. And to that, uh, again, everything was subservient to this deal, including so, the including the national security of the United States. Yeah, literally. Yeah. So so yes. so yes. so the article is written. It's published, and on, unlike many other hugely significant revelatory articles over this past year, it sort of virtually got ignored. But, I mean, it took eight days before CNN ever mentioned it on their website or on the air. It did not get the same sort of reverberative effect that you get when a story hits big. I mean, compare it to the Roy Moore story, you know, out of Alabama. But then the pushback begins, and that's what you detail so well in your article at Tablet Magazine. All right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, all of these people in the press, not all of these people, but there are a number of people in the press. You saw how they responded when Obama was president. These people were working on Obama's half, on Obama's behalf to sell the nuclear deal with Iran. So now the idea that someone is writing an article saying, here's part of the cost of that nuclear deal with Iran. So the press, as well as former Obama officials and other political operatives, understood from the Meyer piece, they had a lot at stake. There was a lot of egg on their face and their response, uh, both in the press and places like the Washington Post and in um, and on Twitter from social media venues was just insane the way they attacked him. And one of the most disgusting aspects of it was that other other journalists were attacking a journalist for doing, you know, for doing a very solid piece of reporting. It, it, was, it, it was deeply unpleasant, but nonetheless, if we understand how the press worked, if we understand what the press did during the Obama years, especially in its help serving the administration sell the nuclear deal with Iran, unfortunately, it's not surprising. This is what the press has become. Well, and and Lee Smith, it's fascinating in light of what we learned specifically about Ben Rhodes, who was the deputy national security advisor to Barack Obama, and his manipulation of the media in support 
of the Iran nuclear deal. He bragged about it to the New York Times magazine. He said he had right. created what, in his words, an echo chamber. And as you discovered right. in this article, that echo chamber still exists even after yes. the Obama administration and Ben Rhodes continues to lead it. Yes. I, I mean, look, I don't want to go too far afield, but this is part of what we're seeing in Russiagate as well. I mean, a lot of the. Oh, I don't think that's far afield at all. I think it's the same thing, different color. Yeah. Right. I mean, a lot of the people who are putting through these stories in the Washington Post, in the New York Times, at CNN, these people who are part of the echo chamber helping sell the nuclear deal, these are the same people who are putting through these nonsense Russiagate stories. And we know where it's coming from. It's coming from the same political operatives, it's the same ecosystem. So. Unfortunately, I, I mean, the last look, the press has always had different problems. But what happened, uh, what happened during the Obama years is uh, uh, damaged a very important American institution. I know a lot of people are suspicious of the press, always have been. And I think that's a wonderful I think that's a wonderful American default position. We should be careful what we're told, uh, question what we're told, question what we read. Nonetheless, what's happened to the press the, uh, again the last decade? It's just astonishing. And the response to the Josh Meyer article in Politico is uh, is an aspect of this. You know, you point to another aspect of this, and that has to do with the media now, members of the media, we should say, because yeah. not everyone's the same. Listen, later in the program, we're going to have Cheryl Atkinson, one of the finest yeah. investigative reporters yeah, still working in D.C. So I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but 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 the the echo chamber created by Ben Rhodes on behalf of the Obama administration to support this Iran nuclear deal, when he exposed it, he he was so dismissive of. I mean, he called these foreign policy reporters, national security right. reporters, you know, uh, what twenty somethings that knew nothing. So yeah. so now they. I mean, as you point out, Lee, they have a vested interest. They have skin in the game for policy, right. not just their reporting. So when this story comes Absolutely. out, they've got to protect their own reputations. Absolutely, they're very concerned about it, and they're having a real problem right now because this is one of the reasons why RussiaGate is so important. Because these people during the Obama years, they didn't know how to get stories themselves. Ben Rhodes was right. There are a lot of 27-year-olds who literally know nothing. What were they doing? They were taking leaks from Ben Rhodes and other people in the administration. What do they do when the Obama administration is gone? As it turns out, they're still taking leaks from Obama operatives. We've moved from national security stuff and Iran stuff to Russiagate. It's, the, it's entirely the same ecosystem. And it's uh, again, what it's done to the press is, is, is absolutely awful. And people are right not to believe different things that they read or hear. Our guest is Lee Smith. He's a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, by the way, and a great, great writer. Uh, currently no, no, published. Let me just say, oh. not, not to disbelieve it, but to be a little skeptical. How's that? To be yeah, that's skeptical. a good way to go. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, cautious, right. cautious skepticism. Uh, by the way, also author of the book The Strong Horse: Power Politics and the Clash of Arab Civilizations. Uh, listen, you wrote about the echo chamber and how the media have basically uh, tried to push back against a fellow journalist who, uh, for all accounts, should get a Pulitzer for this uh, fantastic report. Let's pause that for a moment, because uh, thankfully, Lee, you're able to actually talk about the real politics involved here and the international ramifications. Let's go back to this Iran nuclear deal in light of this report, in light of the knowledge now that the Obama administration let Hezbollah go scot-free and stopped federal law enforcement from going after them so they could get the Iran nuclear deal. Is, is there anything left for the Trump administration to, to, to hold on to with this deal? I mean, is there any reason why they should keep this thing going or should the Iran nuclear deal die the death it deserves? Well, I, I certainly hope it dies. And, you know, the, this coming month in January and the new year, 
there are two important uh, two important deadlines coming up. One is the certification of the deal. This is a part of American legislation. And another deadline is about a sanctions waiver. And this will give the president and the administration another opportunity to look at this deal and see whether or not this deal is in the best interest of the United States. I, I certainly believe it is not. But the other important thing about the Meyer piece, again, it's not just it's not just pointing fingers at the Obama people, what they did. It's also underscoring, continue to highlight the problems that Hezbollah poses for the United States, our allies and interests around the world. And the Trump administration needs to be attentive to this. I want to be extremely supportive of the Trump administration. But we have problems right now with our policies in the Middle East. And some of this includes Lebanon. So that's the other part that needs to be uh, that needs to be underscored. The Trump administration needs to watch out with what it's doing in Lebanon and it needs to watch out what it's doing in Syria and Iraq as well. And note that Iran and Hezbollah are enormous problems for American national security and for American foreign policy around the world, not just in the Middle East. The Meyer piece details what they do in Latin America, Asia, Africa, and Europe, as well as the Middle East. And and they are the terrorist arm of the Iranian government, and they were given a free pass because Barack Obama wanted that legacy button. He wanted to be able to, to walk out of office saying, I got the Iran nuclear deal. It's it's truly despicable. Uh, uh, Josh, yeah. By the way, uh, the, the, the Josh Meyer piece, as, as it, it details all of these things, are we aware of 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 any Hezbollah terror incidents that happened as a result of this? I mean, I mean, is it fair to say that Congress has a role here to to investigate, to have some oversight, and to say, listen, people died because of this decision. People that shouldn't have died that we could have prevented had the Obama administration not stepped in. That's a very interesting point. I think. I, I, I mean, as, as, as I'm sure you know, and many of your listeners know, the Attorney General. Uh, I believe wants an investigation into this, and so we'll we'll see what happens. But the point you make is very important, and I think a lot of people have not thought about this significantly yet. What are the different operations that Hezbollah pulled around the world um, that might not have happened had the administration not pulled back different agents in the DEA, among other places, and had the, again the first Josh Meyer piece was about. The Iranians, uh, the Iranians in the United States and what the FBI was pulled back from doing. It's a very interesting point because we have seen many, many Hezbollah operations. We had, of course, this, the famous operation in Bulgaria where a suicide bomber killed a number of Israeli tourists. Look, another thing we need to be looking at is different things that have, that have happened in Latin America, different places where Hezbollah is involved in there. But it's a very interesting point, Larry. It's probably a good thing for all of us to look into. Lee Smith, uh, always good to talk to you, my friend. You can follow Lee Smith's work at Lee Smith DC on Twitter. And uh, I appreciate you joining us this uh, holiday week here before New Year's. Thank you for your article, and thank you for thanks all the work so you do. Much for, thanks so much for having me, Larry. I really appreciate it. Happy New Year to you and all of your listeners. Thank you. It is 47 minutes after the hour. I am Larry O'Connor. You can follow me on Twitter as well, Larry O'Connor with an O-R. And you're listening to the great one, The Mark Levin Show. Mark Lovin. Larry O'Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. Listen, we're going to continue this theme coming up in a moment. Cheryl Atkinson, one of the finest investigative reporters still working in Washington, D.C. She's got a great expose called Investigating the Investigators at DOJ 
and FBI. Uh, is there a real problem of a tangled web of politicized investigators at the Justice Department, all seemingly surrounding the Hillary Clinton email investigation and the Robert Mueller Russia probe? Uh, Cheryl Ackeson exposes eight of them in this blockbuster investigation. She joins us coming up in a moment. Also, uh, I, as I mentioned before, I love changing the subject. I mean, if you don't like a topic I'm on, stick around for, you know, eight minutes, nine minutes. My AD deal kick in. We'll click to another topic. And uh, coming up, I'm going to talk about Star Wars. Uh, I'm going to talk about this Last Jedi thing because I have I have a theory. I think that social justice warrior feminists have ruined the Star Wars franchise. Uh, and if you haven't seen the movie, I won't spoil too much. But But, boy, the feminization of the Star Wars galaxy is strong. And I don't think it's for the better. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about NBC News for a moment. It hasn't been a good year for NBC News. Let's face it. First, we had Mark Halperin. He got dumped from MSNBC because he was, you know, uh, doing inappropriate Harvey Weinstein kind of stuff with people who worked there. Uh, and then, of course, Matt Lauer and his uh, secret little button under his desk that, uh, well, you, let's just say you wouldn't watch your daughter interning over there at the Today Show. And then just yesterday now, we've learned about another one. You know, you have, if you're NBC News, you got three franchises. You got your Today Show and your Nightly News on NBC News. You got everything on MSNBC. And then you got CNBC. Halpern was MSNBC. Lauer was NBC News. But CNBC so far, you know, yeah, they're just talking about uh, stocks and bonds, right? And, and maybe your occasional shark tank at night. Uh, no one's going to get into trouble over there. Oh, think twice about that. One of their directors, a director who worked on Power Lunch and the Susie Orman Show, his name is Dan Switz, and he just got arrested in Westchester, New York. Uh, according to the arrest report, so you gotta, you know, you gotta throw in all the allegedly's in there. You gotta, you gotta throw in all the, uh, has been accused of stuff. But this guy, according to police, set up a nanny cam in his bathroom, hidden in a Kleenex box, so he could spy on his teenage babysitter. And he's a director at CNBC. CNBC has no comment about this. He's been arrested and now released, but uh, the criminal charges will be pending. So all three of the Peacock Network's news outlets have now been hit by the uh, the creep factor, and that's not a good thing. So NBC News has now decided to come out with a, a brand-new policy for all of their employees. The New York Post reports on it, uh, and according to their source, there's now uh, rules about how employees at NBC News should hug each other. I'll read from page six here, New York Post. There's a series of ridiculous rules issued on other office conduct. One rule relates to hugging. If you wish to hug a colleague, you have to do a quick hug, then an immediate release. Step away to avoid body contact. There's also strict rules about socializing, including not sharing taxis home and, I'm not joking, not taking vegans to steakhouses. I, I don't think that was Matt Lauer's problem. I, I don't. I don't think taking vegans to steakhouses was really a problem in the grand scheme of things with Matt Lauer's rape button. Uh, but there's more. They also, NBC News executives, that is, will not just be patrolling the halls of Thirty Rock like a nun at a Catholic school dance. They're also asking for employees to become spies and snitches on romantic relationships. They now have a zero tolerance on romantic relationships, and they want employees to rat out their coworkers if they happen to have an office romance. Has anyone asked Joe and Mika about this? How exactly does their 
relationship work in these new guidelines. I'm Larry O'Connor. It's the Mark Levin Show. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Has the Star Wars universe been feminized? And not for the better, I'm Larry O'Connor, sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. We'll take up that topic and many others as the afternoon, evening goes on. Today, I am broadcasting, though, here doing the Mark Levin Show from the great KTOK 1000 AM in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, a legendary radio station in a fantastic city, and I am pleased as punch to be here talking to the great Mark Levin audience, amongst which I count myself, by the way. I, I love listening to Mark every night on my way home after I finish my program. So thank you, Mark, and the whole team here at the Mark Levin Show. I love being here. Uh, joining us right now, uh, one of the best, Cheryl Atkinson. She's an investigative reporter, and uh, you you must follow her on Twitter, Cheryl Atkinson, and check out her website, CherylAtkinson.com. Uh, but most importantly, get her book. Her latest book just came out this year, The Smear. It uh, talks a whole lot about how uh, political operatives and fake news control what you see, what you think, and how you vote. It's sort of the theme here on this evening's program, and she joins us now. Cheryl, thanks for joining us, and Happy New Year to you. Hey, Larry. Thank you for having me. Listen, your latest article here at CherylAckerson.com, investigating the investigators at DOJ and FBI, I think is so important and uh, needs as much attention as possible because you're actually starting to connect some dots here. We've heard all of these names and all of these stories about these operatives, investigators, and uh, people at the DOJ who have acted in a pretty blatantly political way, but you're connecting how they all relate to the Hillary Clinton email investigation or the Robert Mueller Russia investigation. Uh, lay this out for us, will you? Well, I think there's been so much coverage, um, rightfully so in many cases, about the alleged uh, collusion between Trump and Russia, but much less, much, much, much less about the investigations into the investigators. And the primary investigation, the way I see it, is being held by the Department of Justice Inspector General, who was appointed by President Obama, so he's not a Republican partisan. Mm -hmm. And he has made clear he's investigating a number of officials at DOJ under Obama and a number of FBI officials involved in, yes, as he said, both the Hillary Clinton email investigation that tended to appear to exonerate her, as well as the Trump-Russia probe. And some of these same characters or actors intersect in both of those. And if you start to look at it, um, as, as I say, it appears as though scalps are piling up in that investigation in a largely unnoticed way, although I might point out nobody has been officially accused or charged of anything in particular, and the moves being made by these FBI and DOJ people who are either retiring, going into private practice, uh, being transferred or whatnot, um, you know, their supporters in some cases say these are moves that are entirely unrelated to these investigations going on. But it's certainly worth looking at and asking these questions. Sure. And, and, and let's start with just one of them. I want, I want to hit many of these. But Peter Strzok, I think, is one of the most fascinating individuals here. He, uh, he is the person who it was revealed, uh, sent those text messages to, to his, uh, paramour. Uh, saying things about having an insurance policy uh, to ensure just in case Donald Trump gets elected president. 
it's amazing to see how much he was involved with. I mean, I mean, he modified James Comey's findings, initial findings about Hillary Clinton in the email. He had modified the language so that it, uh, you know, didn't fall into the statutory uh, illegal behavior of grossly negligent. He participated in the interview with Hillary Clinton. He then got named to the Robert Mueller investigation. He's the person who accepted the Russian dossier, apparently, from uh, from uh, Fusion GPS. He had his fingers in a lot of pies, Cheryl Atkinson. Yes, and I think it's hard to ignore those facts. I mean, I think his supporters would say you can be a you can feel very partisan about somebody. Clearly, he despises President Trump based on his emails. But they would argue you can still be fair. But the whole point of an, a special counsel investigation is to avoid the appearance of conflicts of interest because that was considered to be a problem in the first place. And if you have people who are overtly partisan on the team, then certainly legitimate questions need to be asked. But especially when the same figures intersect both appearing to exonerate Hillary Clinton on the one hand and also appearing to be um, you know, very much involved in the Trump-Russia collusion probe, um, you know, one right after the other. And, and, and to that end, uh, you know, it, it seems to me, Cheryl, that, you know, you're doing some great investigative reporting here. When you look at where the energy in the media is right now, uh, I would think that, that a, a politicized FBI and a politicized Justice Department is a great story. But there doesn't seem to be as much interest in something like that from your colleagues. There really hasn't been, and I published an article in The Hill um, about the same time as the article you're talking about on my website that looks at, um, you know, the, the alleged politicization of our intel agencies. And I asked the question as to whether it's time to ask whether there's systemic uh, corruption and or misfeasance in our intel agencies. And I point out not just under one administration, but are there certain characters that have grown more pervasive and powerful than any single party or administration that persists over time uh, longer in, in, in a fashion that can wield more control over these issues than, than most of us know. And I think, um, you know, that's an important article and an important consideration as well. Our guest is Cheryl Atkinson, and her latest article over at CherylAtkinson.com is investigating the investigators, specifically the people who investigated either Hillary Clinton's email uh, server or are involved in the investigation of the Trump campaign and possible alleged Russian collusion. You detail here eight different high-ranking DOJ or FBI officials who have in one way either been removed, reassigned, or uh, are now thinking of resigning. Uh, that's a remarkable number. Eight of these people all involved in this are now suddenly either gone or or signaling that they're going. Is there something afoot here? Well, you know, I guess we'll have to know in due time because in some cases it's claimed that these moves are being made unrelated wholly to the investigation. But I can tell you that the Department of Justice Inspector General, in addition to congressional committees who are investigating, has said outright in a written report that he's looking at these certain DOJ and FBI officials for whether they should have recused themselves from, for example, the Hillary Clinton investigation because they had ties to or communications with the Hillary campaign or with figures connected to the Clintons. Um, he's also looking at whether there was improper influence made in the decision-making process during the Hillary Clinton investigation of her um, mishandling of classified emails. So, you know, he has said that these are areas he's looking at, and some of these figures that he said he's looking at are the ones who have moved or transferred or, or left their 
previous positions already. And when you put it together, which I don't think anybody has until now in one article, it does tend to at least look like it starts to tell a story and maybe a bigger story than one that's been told so far. Tell me what you've learned about Andrew McCabe. This is the uh, uh, deputy FBI director, is that correct? And and he also was involved in many of these investigations. Um, he, he has a lot of political connections, we've learned. He does, and um, you know he's a figure that is persistent in themes when you're looking across at these two big investigations. He is connected to these other figures that I've mentioned in my article. Some of them worked under him or for him or advised advised him. I believe both Stroke and the woman, the other FBI attorney with whom he was having an alleged affair, both were considered McCabe associates and advisors worked under him as well. So he is sort of a key figure to this, and, and it's been reported. I have it confirmed, but it's been reported in news reports that after his congressional testimony behind closed doors in the past week or two, that he has told, said through friends that he plans to retire as soon as he's eligible for his full pension, probably around March. So he may indeed be able to mark time, you know, because I don't think the DOJ Inspector General's investigation will be finished by then. But um, it sounds like he's sending the message that he's winding down the yeah. clock. And, and and let's just repeat for anybody who isn't, you know, keeping score at home, because, you know, we live in Washington, D.C. We're sort of in the belly of this beast, and we're seeing all of these reports fly by. Andrew McCabe's wife ran for Senate in the Commonwealth of Virginia in the middle of the Hillary Clinton email investigation. This was in 2016, and his wife received uh, an enormous contribution to her campaign by the standards of a state Senate run, $700,000, and that... That campaign contribution came from a super PAC run by Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, who is basically a family member of Hillary Clinton. How does that not rise to the level, Cheryl Atkinson, at the very least, of appearance of conflict of interest? Well, that is exactly why the Department of Justice Inspector General said he thought it was a matter worthy of investigation. And while he hasn't made a conclusion that's been out in the public yet, um, he did think that, just like you said, that was certainly worthy of looking into that, that McCabe's wife received $700,000 from a very close Clinton associate immediately prior to, um, you know, the Hillary Clinton email investigation being officially launched. It was probably already being discussed at the time. And whether he should have just to avoid the appearance, if nothing else, recused himself is a primary question the inspector general is asking. Yeah. You know, my, my friends who are, uh, who are Democrats on the left who, who have expressed concern over the idea of a hostile foreign power showing undue influence and perhaps even colluding with a presidential campaign in this last cycle, uh, when they're concerned about that, I, I understand why they are concerned. I don't see the same patterns and the same evidence that they see, but at least I understand why they're concerned about that because uh, that's an erosion of public trust. That's an erosion of something that we Americans should be able to rely on, the integrity of our candidates and the campaign. But but to me, something even more concerning, Cheryl Atkinson, is a Justice Department, the, the, the legal arm of our federal government, with all the power they have, the police power, the use of deadly force, uh, being politicized, being utilized as a tool of one political arm or one political entity, uh, that's deeply troubling and deeply disturbing. Isn't that something that Congress should, at the very least, be taking up from your perspective? I think so, and I do know some congressional committees and members are looking into this, but to get into the whole dynamic of how things work on Capitol Hill, um, as you probably know, committees and leadership on both parties 
are often, in my opinion at least, in my experience, dictated and ruled to some degree by federal agencies and by the interests that they ought to be regulating and overseeing. So sometimes they only go so far when they're yeah. actually doing their investigations and it kind of stops. Or they're allowed to make, as staffers tell me, they're allowed to make a public stink about something, but then they move on. They, they're only told that they can go so far. So, yes, I do think they should be investigating it. And as I said in my article in The Hill, this is more pervasive than any single political party. I don't, I don't right. think one or the other is to blame. And it's not always a purely ideological interest. I think it's more about the power that these intel agencies hold and have been given and have been building over the decades, but particularly in the post-9-11 era, when we exceeded a lot of our privacies, we accepted that some of these would have to be infringed upon because we needed to protect our national security. But at the same time, there are some actors, and certainly I like to think most people in our intel agencies are very good, honest people, some of whom have been sources and have helped me, but there are certainly actors that even these people are worried about inside their agencies who are doing things... Um, for, not for the best of our country yeah. and are politicizing the way they've they've the powers that they've been given that are not surveilling on the basis of what they're supposed to be that that are surveilling political enemies and journalists and American citizens so that they can find out information on them not to protect national security. Yeah. So I think these are really important concerns. Oh, it's incredibly corrosive of the public's trust in our government, uh, what's left of it, at least. And uh, and, and by the way, uh, Cheryl Atkinson, I think it's important to point out that uh, as a journalist, you had your own run-ins with the Justice Department under the Obama administration, and and you continue, uh, one year into the Trump administration, you continue to be stymied in your ability to get to the bottom of it. Where did things stand now with your lawsuit against the DOJ? Well, my lawsuit against the federal government for the intrusions into my computers and the privacy intrusions is moving forward positively. As of last fall, we finally got a judge in a venue who's letting us go forward. And we have um, deposed and subpoenaed Department of Justice, CIA, FBI, NSA, I mean, you name it, and we're taking depositions and so on. But the Department of Justice continues to, instead of cooperate, even though there's a new administration, it's the same actors, and they're still obstructing the case and trying uh, not to let us progress rather than looking at the forensics and acknowledging what, what was done and trying to get to the bottom of it. So little changes, it seems, from administration to administration when we're talking about these sorts of things. Listen, there are a lot of Sunday programs on all the networks, on cable. Uh, there's all the same-sounding hosts with the same-sounding questions to the same-sounding guests and the same kind of political pundit talking head roundtables that occur after the interviews. But there's one Sunday program that stands apart, and that is Cheryl Atkinson's. It's called Full Measure with Cheryl Atkinson, and it's syndicated nationwide. It's broadcast every Sunday across all the networks. Uh, go check it out online so you can see where it's playing in your town but you won't be disappointed. It truly is making a difference. Cheryl Atkinson, I love talking to you whenever I can, and I appreciate you joining us today. I appreciate that. Thanks, Larry. Happy New Year. It's 620, excuse me, it's 21 minutes after the hour. I'm Larry O'Connor, sitting in for the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. the phone lines here at 877-381-3811 and i'm no fool i'm not going to push against the tide uh there's a lot i have on my mind a lot i want to talk about but clearly you want to talk about this uh stinky smelly 
apparently politicized investigation, not just into the president and his campaign and the uh, alleged Russia connection, but you clearly still want to talk about what went on with that Hillary Clinton investigation. So we'll take your calls at 877-381-3811. Do you agree with the congressman this week who said there needs to be a, a, I'm using his words, purge of the Justice Department, a purge of the FBI to get rid of politicized investigators and politicized attorneys who have, I just want to repeat this now, at the Justice Department and the FBI, they have police powers granted to them on our behalf. They are able to investigate us. They are able to surveil us. They are able to jail us. If necessary, they're able to use deadly force against us to take away the very liberty of life. We allow them to do that, but there's a deal that we've made under our Constitution. There's a deal we've made with our elected officials in Congress and with our chief executive, the president, whom we all vote for. The deal is that there's oversight. The deal is that they're allowed to have those powers over us, but only if they follow the rules, follow the Constitution, and our elected officials conduct very real oversight to make sure they aren't corrupt well i'm i'm unsure that oversight has happened i mean i mean we had a congress actually hold the attorney general eric holder in contempt and nothing happened so do you agree that the doj and the fbi are out of control and what's to be done i'm larry o'connor sitting in for the great one mark Levin. This is the show the New York Times is afraid of. Mark Levin, call him now at 877-381-3811. Francis Rooney is a congressman from Florida, Republican. He's getting a lot of heat because he went on MSNBC. Why do they go on MSNBC? Well, listen, I guess I guess you got to do what my friend Andrew Breitbart said, which is you walk into the fire, right? You go where they're uh, they're they're needing to hear your message, right? So. So Francis Rooney goes on MSNBC and he said there should be a purge at the FBI because of the political bias over there. And he's getting a lot of heat. I'm Larry O'Connor. I'm filling in for Mark Levin here. And the number is 877-381-3811. I want to dovetail off of what we just heard from Cheryl Atkinson and talk about that purge. Listen, the use of the word purge, I understand. You know, they, they immediately jump to communists. They, they immediately jump to dictatorship whenever it's a Republican using the terminology that uh, that evokes those kind of ideas, you know, a purge. That's what a dictator does. Uh, they never they never look at the socialist dictator policies. Forget about the language, the actual policies that their side employs that, that come right out of Karl Marx's how to manual. Uh, now, that, that doesn't concern them. It's if a word is used that they don't like. And in this case, it was the word purge. Well, I got to hand it to Representative Matt Getz, also from Florida. He's been making the rounds along with Jim Jordan. The two of them are like uh, sort of side by side on a lot of these media appearances. And uh, Getz was on Fox News last night. And Ed Henry there uh, pressed him on it and said, you agree, should there be a purge? And Getz said, hey, the purge is already happening. <laughs> he said, these people are resigning or getting reassigned. All for their political biases, as you just heard Cheryl Atkinson lay out there. Well, uh, setting aside whether you like the word purge or not, does there need to be some sort of house cleaning? What is Attorney General Jeff Sessions doing? 
Because there was a time in this country where someone was uh, identified and described as a, a career Justice Department official, a career FBI investigator. That meant something. It meant that they weren't a political appointee. They weren't a hack. They weren't somebody that the current administration just happened to put there. And so they are clean and unsullied of any political influence. They've been there their whole career. They just care about the truth. They just care about justice. They just care about enforcing our laws. And sadly now, I think that the mood in this country, seeing what is going on, seeing what happened with the Hillary Clinton investigation, seeing what's going on with the Robert Mueller special counsel investigation of Donald Trump and the dossier, and you learn of all of the interrelations between these lawyers and investigators and media or political figures, excuse me. And, and, and sadly, I think the opposite is now true. The, the, the problem is with the career Justice Department officials because they are so entrenched in the deep state. They are so entrenched in the politics of Washington, D.C. that they, they're beholden to that and not to the Constitution, not to the law. And if you dare call them on it, if you dare shine the light of truth on what's going on, then you're slandering every FBI agent. You're slandering every Justice Department official. You're slandering every good worker be there who's trying to do the Lord's work. Well, that's not the case. I'm not doing that at all. But the best thing, if you really love the FBI, if you really care about the FBI, if you really care about the Justice Department, you should be outraged about these stories. That's my biggest problem with Rod Rosenstein. The deputy attorney general, when he was facing off against the Judiciary Committee, against the aforementioned Representative Getz and Representative Jim Jordan, when they were pressing him on these issues, the man looked like he was, he was late for a dinner. The man looked like he was, he was worried about picking up his dry cleaning. I want my deputy attorney general to be more outraged than anyone else that there's even a hint, even a suggestion a politicization of the Justice Department and the FBI. The best thing we can do for the FBI is to make sure that they are clean as a whistle. Otherwise, all of them, all of the law enforcement officials who work at the federal level are painted with that brush. The watchdogs for the DOJ should be angrier than anyone about what we've learned over the last several weeks, and yet they're not. They're circling the wagons. They're entrenched. They're protecting each other and themselves. And that's exactly the wrong move. So what's the solution? And do you agree that this Justice Department has been so politicized that sadly the American people have lost faith in the federal government to enforce the laws of this land in an even and judicious way? 877-381-3811. I'm Larry Connor. I want to hear from you. Let's start with Robert in Baltimore, Maryland. You're on the Mark Levin Show, Robert. Hey, how are you doing this evening? I'm good, but I'm agitated. I'm agitated that the Justice Department is no longer the, the Elliot Ness kind of operation that I thought it used to be. Well, you should be agitated. Okay? The, I can tell you, if I had done half of the things that these people are doing, I would be in jail. I would have been fired. I would have been kicked out. Everything under the sun except being promoted and put into a higher position and doing the things that they're doing. And, you know, the whole talk about them, uh, well, it's being purged. They're retiring. They're resigning and all this other. You know, something that's crap. 
they they basically robbed the bank. They're retiring now, so we should just let them go. Is that is that the way that law works? Yeah, yeah, and let them retire on all the money they robbed from the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh and let me tell you, their retirement is nothing to be uh nothing to be um excused. I mean, I can tell you their retirement is actually quite nice. I'm <laughs> sure. The, I'm sure. So, Rob, Robert in Baltimore, thanks for uh, calling into the Mark Levin Show tonight. Good to hear from you. I want to get as many in here as I can because uh, that's what I love about talk radio and what I love about the Mark Levin Show. Man, he probably takes more callers than any of the national hosts. Uh, Kevin, Salt Lake City, Utah, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hey, how are you going? I'm good. What do you yeah, think? I'm, I've been listening to all this BS from the FBI and everybody else, and I think the FBI itself is is fine. It's the higher guys that are corrupted now. You got Mueller, which was in charge of the FBI at the time the Uranium One was going on. Now yeah. he's in charge of the Hen House trying to investigate. So you got <laughs> the guy that was in charge investigating himself. No, it ain't going to happen. You know, it's they let Hillary go with passes over and over and over and over again. She lied. Abbott, you know, Uma Abedin lied. All of them lied. They wouldn't take their statement under oath right what do does that yeah and not only did they not take under oath they didn't take any notes so there's no you know every everybody gets in trouble mike flynn is now in trouble because he uh supposedly allegedly i shouldn't say allegedly because he's uh, pled guilty to it uh former general mike flynn uh national security advisor for a month in the trump administration uh pled guilty to lying to fbi agents and they know he lied uh, because they compared his testimony to other people's testimony and to some evidence that they had Hillary Clinton, there's no way to know if Hillary Clinton lied to FBI agents when they questioned her because they never did any kind of recording device on that investigation and on, on that interview, and they had already written their found findings before they even interviewed her. Well, when she was sitting there in front of Congress, she flat out lied, saying that she turned over everything. Yep. She didn't have anything left, which all became out, but she lied. She destroyed all the emails. She didn't turn them over. You know, she. It's so she... On record, on tape, in front of millions of people, lied, but yet nothing. Yeah. I know, Kevin. I uh, Listen, thanks for the call out there in Salt Lake City, Utah. I, I sense your frustration. And, and, again, this is not just about politics. I'm not so naive to suggest that this isn't somehow about politics. There's obviously politics involved in all sides of this equation. But it goes much, much deeper than that. I worry about this country if the majority of the American people lose faith in certain institutions like the Justice Department. I, I mean, I'm not kidding when I said that I want my DOJ and my FBI to be like Elliot Ness. I want them to be uncorrupted. I need them to be as pure as the virgin snow that's falling in the Northeast right now, because that's the only way this arrangement works, where we, with our God-given rights as articulated and protected by the Bill of Rights and the Constitution so wisely laid out by our forefathers, we allow the federal government to infringe on those rights under certain conditions. And one of those conditions is you don't break the rules. You don't break the Constitution yourself. You don't act in a politicized way. You don't use the Justice Department and the FBI in a political way to punish your enemies or to give your pals a free pass. And that is exactly what we are now seeing. And as soon as that appears to happen in our country, we're seeing some very dangerous roads ahead of us.
very dangerous. And I don't want that to happen. Bob in Atlanta, Georgia, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Hey, Bob. Hey. So um, for me, I've been watching this. I voted uh, libertarian at times. I voted my conscience on who was running. So it's not about party. It's not about politics. But for me in my lifetime, this is egregious abuse of power by the government. And there's two things that bother me about it. When I look at what was done to the Clinton side in that investigation with respect to, and it was just covered, the non-investigator, no one was put under oath, so they put, they engineered a solution that allowed them to absolve. So that, that's what the yeah. whole intent was. Yeah, they, 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 they had to find an out, and they had to find it before the conventions. And, Bob, if I can just interject one more thing. Not only did they, did they do that, but then they also made agreements with all of these people that they would destroy the evidence afterwards so no one could then come back and reinvestigate it. It's, it was absolute outrage. Go ahead. And for me, I also believe that this whole dossier was designed and engineered, and, and it was used, and it's why they won't release the information about the FISA court warrants to, to um, surveil just normal people or, or people who, who were not participating. They, and that was an engineered, invented, planted knowingly, and accepted by the people who took it knowingly in order to... to be the justification, and, and I think that this is that, that in itself is what um, the FBI agent who was having the affair was talking about when he said that they had the the plan. What was the yep, the insurance was? plan? Peter Strzok insurance plan. Uh, he said, "Listen, I." He said, I want to agree with you that Donald Trump can't win this election and won't win, but I think we need an insurance plan just in case. And then suddenly, he is the man who was the point person on the dossier. He is the man. Did you know that he is the man who briefed the House Intelligence Committee the first week of December about the existence of the dossier? And then within a week, James Comey was then planning to brief the president-elect in Trump Tower. And all of the people who were surveilled inappropriately and who were unmasked, this, I believe that this was the, the mechanism that was used to, to do all of that, and it was engineered as cover. And the people who did it should go to jail, and they're hiding behind all of the good people who work at the FBI. That's Their right. whole cover, which is, which is, oh, the FBI is a great place. You know what? You're right, except for there's a really nasty disease at the top, and it needs to the, the head needs to be cut off of this snake. Well, uh, Bob, I'm afraid it's more than just in the, the, the head of the snake, uh, sadly. And I appreciate the call. I really do here on the Mark Levin Show. Uh, but you're, and you're, by the way, you're absolutely right. The second that you raise the criticisms, I can hear them working in the cubicles of Media Matters right now. Oh, they don't take holidays off, trust me. And they're now going to be right, you know, right wing radio host Larry O'Connor in for Mark Levin says that the Justice Department is corrupt and they're all liars and they're no. But that's the trick. That's what they do. Are you saying, sir, that all of the FBI agents who are putting their lives on the line to protect our country are corrupt? No, no. So why even raise that as a question? Of course, I'm not saying that. Just like Barack Obama wasn't saying that all police officers are racist when he was protecting Black Lives Matter at the White House. Actually, maybe he was saying that now that I think about it, but it's not like he was ever challenged that way, was he? No, sir, he was not. Uh, how about Peter in Leesburg, Virginia? Boy, that's God's country there in Leesburg. You're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Yes, sir. Um, say, first of all, the FBI needs to be run by agents. It's not run by agents. It's run by a bunch of lawyers. 
Okay, and it's been run like that for a long time. We haven't had any agents running the FBI in many, many years. And when you start putting agents back in charge, then you can start cleaning up the FBI. As far as the Department of Justice, uh, Rosenstein runs the Department of Justice. Uh, um, Jeff Sessions, he's MIA. Yeah. That guy is nowhere to be found. Yeah, I think he's recused himself from the whole dang thing at this point, not just from the Russia investigation. Rosenstein runs the Department of Justice. And for the military, if you want to purge the military, fire all those generals and start putting E7s and E8s. Promote E7s and E8s into generals' positions. You want to shake up the military? You want to start locking heels? That's how you get it done. All right, Peter's moved out. He's already crossed the Potomac over to the Pentagon now as he starts to clean house and train the swamp. Peter, thanks for the call and happy New Year to you. Uh, I want to hear from Scott in San Francisco, California, uh, listening here on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. What do you say, Scott? Hey, Scott, you're up. All right, we lost Scott. He said he was uh, had top secret clearance and would have been jailed for 10 years if uh, he had done what Hillary Clinton does. I hear that all of the time, by the way. Uh, one of the beauties of doing talk radio in the nation's capital, WMAL, is that so many of the listeners there in the greater Washington area are members of the FBI and the Justice Department or the intelligence community or of the military. Uh, they're listening on their way into work or on their way home from work. They know they're the good people who are making this country run and making this government run, and they were more outraged than anyone about what happened with Hillary Clinton, or I should say what didn't happen with Hillary Clinton. Why others in the government, most specifically the elected officials and the people of the Justice Department who weren't more upset, is uh, is terrifying and infuriating. But we need that investigation, and hopefully we'll get it. All right, keep it right here on The Mark Levin Show. We'll continue with this conversation. And coming up in a moment... Has Star Wars been feminized, and has it been ruined because of it? We'll hit that, too. I'm Larry O'Connor, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Connor sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. In a moment, we're going to take up the issue of the new Star Wars movie and what's happened to the Star Wars universe. It's become feminized. And and I don't think that's necessarily a good thing, uh, but let's continue our conversation about the Justice Department. Let's go to John in Savannah, Georgia. Boy, that's I love Savannah, Georgia. What a great town you live in, John. You're on the Mark Levin Show. Hey, John in Savannah, you're up. All right, I think that sadly John is listening on the uh, radio. But, you know, John made a really good point. He, he's an African-American, and he talks about how the FBI and the Justice Department had a history uh, back before the civil rights uh, days of the 60s where they would use their weapons, they would use their surveillance power uh, for nefarious reasons. And I would agree with him. Here's the thing. There used to be a time in this country where liberals, classic liberals, were suspicious of the government, of the overreaching power of the surveillance state and of the Justice Department and the FBI working on behalf of corrupt individuals in this government. What happened to them? What happened to those classic liberals who were uh, always, in a stance, where they were suspicious of the big, powerful Uber government taking away their rights and liberties. I'll tell you what happened. They got in charge. And now they put their people in place, and they're using that exact same Justice Department and surveillance state for their own ends. You know, you either believe in values and principles or you don't. You can't just use the exact same tactics for your ends, and suddenly everything's okay. 
But sadly, that's exactly what we've seen from the left in America. I'm Larry O'Connor, and this is The Mark Levin Show. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. I swear I'm not going to spoil the Star Wars movie for you, all right? So don't worry about turning us out here, all right? We are going to talk about the Star Wars movie, but we're going to talk about it in uh, broad strokes. And, And Force Awakens, which is now two years old actually has uh, just as many examples of the problem I'm going to point out than uh, this latest uh, Last Jedi movie does. But the problem is that the Star Wars universe, the galaxy that our characters and droids find themselves in, has been completely and totally feminized, and it's kind of ruining it. It's ruining the movies, it's ruining the characters, it's ruining the plot lines, and it's ruining what made Star Wars great. I'm not saying that Star Wars was incredibly masculine, but boy, they the, the socialist justice warriors have taken over, uh, and 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 I think we've got a serious problem here with the feminization of the Star Wars galaxy and the heroes and the storylines. And if you understand what I'm talking about, if you've seen this movie, I'd love for your reaction too. Is that what's wrong with this movie? It hasn't gotten very good reviews. Uh, it's now on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, at a sub fifty percent rating. I think there's a lot of great stuff in this movie. I really do. I think visually, it's phenomenal. But the overall themes and the uh, the plot lines that hinge on the the condemnation of male heroics that had been personified by Han Solo and, to a lesser extent, uh, Luke Skywalker in past movies, those have now been condemned as being the problem in the Star Wars galaxy. And the solution is act more like a woman. Now, I'll explain a few more details without any spoilers, I promise, but I would love for you to jump in on this, too. 877-381-3811. It's the Mark Levin Show. I am Larry O'Connor uh, filling in for the great one here on this holiday week. I hope he's having a great vacation. I hope you're having a great vacation if you're on vacation. Uh, God knows I still listen to Mark Levin when I'm on vacation. Uh, it's a must-listen radio, and uh, just by way of introduction, I'm a talk show host. I broadcast on WMAL, uh, in my opinion, the finest talk radio station in the country, because we are in Washington, D.C. I mean, I mean, the Trump administration and Congress and all of the things that happen in the swamp, those are local stories for us on WMAL. How lucky am I? from 3 to 6 in the afternoon that I get to follow Rush Limbaugh and lead into Mark Levin every day during People's Drive Home. So that's who I am. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm also a columnist and blogger over at the Washington Times, but uh, God knows we don't talk about just Washington, D.C. stuff there or on WMAL or, for that matter, on the Mark Levin Show. Uh, This is a cultural issue, yes, but it, it transcends the movies. It also talks about where the thought leaders in this country, and yes, there are thought leaders in Hollywood, they, they, they have great influence over what we talk about and what happens in our country. As my old dear friend and colleague Andrew Breitbart, God rest his soul, used to say, politics is downstream from culture. Oh, I know you've heard that a lot, but he invented it. He coined that phrase, and he was right. 
Uh, there's a reason why whenever a Hollywood actor is in Washington, D.C., the politicians are dying to have them testify in Congress. They love glomming onto them because they recognize the importance of culture in our country and how cultural icons make a difference in so many people's lives who aren't paying attention to politicians necessarily, but God knows they're paying attention to Star Wars or they're paying attention to Beyonce. I mean, there's a reason why Barack Obama would have Jay-Z and Beyonce in the White House all the time. There's a reason why when he went out across the country and he was doing rallies in various cities, he wouldn't go on the local talk radio station. He'd go on the morning zoo for the hip-hop station. I mean, partly because he was going to get a friendly audience and he wouldn't get asked any tough questions, but also he understood that that's where the voters were in many instances, certainly his voters. Politics downstream of culture. And when a stalwart franchise like Star Wars that has so much influence on young people and people who aren't necessarily paying attention to politics on a daily basis, when they are influenced by this movie in subtle and not-so-subtle ways, well, that makes a difference in our lives. And let me just say this, without spoiling anything about The Last Jedi, which, again, I think was a pretty good movie. I enjoyed it. I had fun with it, and I thought it was beautifully filmed. Some of the imagery in this movie are is just unparalleled, in my opinion. But at critical plot points in this movie, the masculine, heroic actions that had been celebrated in the world of the late 70s and early 80s with Han Solo and Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, the characters who would do heroic, selfless deeds, they're chastised by the women who are in charge. There is one moment where the rebellion, personified by a uh, general, the late Carrie Fisher, General Leia, and an admiral, played by Laura Dern, they start uh, shooting orders around in the bridge, and they pan the camera over to the people who are in charge of the ship. They're all women. They're all women, and they also represent various races of uh, human beings as well as aliens. When you cut over to the bad guys, guess what? The empire is all run by white men. And when the general and the admiral have their feminized plan of success, they turn to the male heroes in the rebellion, and they basically tell them to sit down and shut up. They don't need to know what the plan is. The women are in charge here, and we'll take care of it. Now, again, without spoiling too many things, it actually doesn't work out very well, but that's not the lesson you walk away with in this film. And if you think that I'm reading too far into it, if you think that I'm making a bigger deal than it is, I listen, I'd love to hear from you at 877-381-3811, but I don't think I am. Oh, there's an agenda in Hollywood. Trust me on this. If you didn't know that, I don't think you're paying attention. Oh, and by the way, I keep referring to it as the rebellion. You know, that's what it always was, the rebellion and the empire, the rebellion and the empire. Guess what? The rebellion run by women, managed by women, it's now the resistance. Sound familiar? Did you see what I saw when you saw Star Wars The Last Jedi? Am I wrong about this? 877-381-3811. Let's go to Ryan in Cincinnati, Ohio. You're first up on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Well, Mr. O'Connor, how are you doing this evening? Hey, man, I'm good. What do you think? Am I, am I making a big deal out of this, or is that really happening in this movie? You know what? The first, I went to go see it last weekend. Uh, spent 
$40 to have IMAX 3D tickets and whatnot, all excited, and I just could not believe what in God's Green Planet I was watching. <laughs> I, had to, I had to look around the audience, like, does anybody else not see? A, you're absolutely right. All I felt this movie was was just a giant social justice warrior. Oh, did we lose Ryan? Yes. Oh, you're still there. Your your cell dropped for a second, but you're right. It's it's the science. It's it's not Star Wars. It's it's social justice wars. That's exactly what it is. The biggest things that that struck me, I'm like, I can't believe. Like everybody else, I it just struck me was the quote. Um, and not, I don't want to ruin the movie for anybody, but there's a part in the film where they kept on repeating the phrase, uh, "Forget and destroy and burn the past." That's exactly what they were doing, and it hit me because, yeah. A, sometimes the past is not, especially American history, everybody knows that during, like, the Civil War slavery, yeah, it's nothing that I'm proud of, you know, but then again, it's our history. It brought us to uh, you know, yes. where we are today, and I'm like, basically, this film is just a reincarnation of what's going on in the United States today. If you don't like it, destroy it. It was the it, whole thing with uh, getting rid of the Jedi Order, you know, it's such a great point. Yes, destroy the past. We can't progress unless we destroy, burn, and forget the past. And 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 again, by the way, that idea is promoted and pushed by the women characters here. And and you're not supposed to use your skills that you have practiced with and trained on your entire life. You know, to be a Jedi used to be about train, 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 learn, learn, apprentice, apprentice. It takes forever to master all of these things. It took Luke Skywalker how many months with Yoda in the swamp to learn how to lift a right. spaceship. But, but you know, the woman just uses her intuition and she can lift boulders. Again, not to spoil too much in the movie. Jedi. And yeah. that's, that's my biggest point is that I was so excited for it, and it just completely killed it for me. Yeah. It's sad, Ryan. It's sad. Uh, listen, thanks for calling in from Cincinnati, Ohio, and Happy New Year to you. Listen, this movie has been out for two weeks, and I've been I've been dying to talk about this, uh, but I didn't want to spoil it, all right? But I think that enough people now, if you wanted to see it, you've seen it by now, and I hope we're not spoiling too much. But the, And again, beautiful movie, but there are some serious problems with this. And, and, and I think that there are social ramifications, cultural ramifications to something as stalwart as Star Wars being sort of upended, reinvented. And, and what's the message here? What's the message? Uh, uh, that, that the things that the heroic male character would do instinctively are wrong and have to be squelched, have to be impeded. The women have the answers and the men are not to question. What the women are going to do. I'm not kidding. When you see it, that's exactly what they'll do. That's what you'll get from it as well. John in Columbia, South Carolina, the Paul Meadows State. You're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Hey, John, as Mark Levin yeah. would say, go. How are you doing there, sir? I'm good. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm 43 years old, so I grew up watching Star Wars all the time. Uh, yeah. I tell you, I watched this program. I, I went and saw the movie on Monday, and I was totally uh, – I walked out of the theater thinking, wow, this is kind of how our society is kind of going, just watching every aspect of the movie. Uh, I thoroughly hated it. I don't want to ruin it for anybody else, but, you know, kind of what was going on, the discussions about the uh, demasculization of uh, – of just men in, in general is pretty much 
permeates throughout the whole entire film. Yeah, I almost feel like in 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 Star Wars: uh, A New Hope, right, Episode Four, which to all of us we we refer to it as the first Star Wars, right? Uh, yes, Princess Leia was not your typical princess. You know, she was gun-toting. She, you know, she was a rebel. She was, you know, engineering a lot of stuff, and she, you know, uh, uh, gave some sass back to Han Solo. But she still had to be rescued. She still required the men and the male characters to do some pretty heroic deeds, and she was grateful for that. I, I feel like they've lost that part of it, that they had not understood the balance in the movie and in the force, if I may say. Well, yeah, if... That's, you know, it's just it's just dead on. I mean, I, I've noticed this in watching films you know, the past several years, or actually probably the past several decades, and it's it's continually getting worse and worse. Where it's just if you're a man to have any kind of male bravado, then you're looked upon as being bad. Yeah. Uh, even the, the characters. I mean, uh, with Kylo Ren and so forth. I mean, it, it makes the whole entire uh, all the bad guys, are, of course, they're bad, but they're just they're insane when you watch them. But they're still not evil. You know, Darth Vader, for example, he was a, you know, a menacing character, but you know, in this movie, he's portrayed, or the the, the grandson is portrayed in a certain way as being yeah. uh, very uh, metrosexual, very weak, conflicting. Right. He needs help. And he's, he's got and psychological he was, problems. He's not evil, right? Yeah. Listen, uh, John, yeah, in South Carolina. Right. Uh, a great point, and I appreciate the call. And by the way, I want to say, Adam Driver, I think, is the best actor in the film. I, uh, he's the one who plays Kylo Ren. By the way, uh, a United States Marine, and 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 so uh, credit has to be given there. Uh, but but yeah, the way they're setting this up, you almost think that in the next movie, Kylo Ren, as he takes over the Empire, is going to say something like, you know, I, I'm going to make the galaxy great again, or something. I mean, they're being so blatant in what they're trying to do here, as the Resistance will change their uniform. And all of the star fighters for the resistance will wear pink knit hats. All right, uh, stay on the line. More of our conversation here in a moment. 877-381-3811. Do you see the feminization of the Star Wars galaxy the way I do? Is it a problem uh, or am I full of it? 877-381-3811. And coming up, a great news about law enforcement in America, a fantastic stat where uh, police officers' deaths have reached a near 50-year low in just the first year of the Trump presidency. We're going to talk about that, and I want to hear from cops about that. Why do you think it is? But first, let's continue our conversation on Star Wars. I'm Larry O'Connor, sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. Mark Levin. Mark Levin, and you know, I decided I didn't want to do a big monologue in introducing myself and explaining who I was at the top of this program tonight as I fill in. You may not have heard of me, you may have, but, uh, you know, listen, uh, people tune in all throughout the three hours, so I thought I'd reveal a little bit about myself as the evening goes on. One of the things I'd like to tell you is that I haven't always been in politics or punditry or talk radio, for that matter. I actually started in the entertainment business. I started working in the theater business on Broadway. I was in management. I wasn't a performer. But I feel like I'm pretty finely attuned to what happens in our culture and in the entertainment world. And you can see trends happening. And I'm telling you, this latest Star Wars movie, this is a very real trend. It started with Force Awakens. It was as subtle as a sledgehammer in this latest one, the feminization of the Star Wars galaxy, that the men are wrong and, in fact, what's wrong about the world they're living in, the galaxy they're living in, is men. And the women have all the answers. John, in L.A., the belly of the entertainment world beast, you're next up on the Mark Levin Show. Um, 
you know, I just saw the movie last night. I can definitely see where you're coming from and the points you're making, but I also saw spots where, from my perspective, they were showing that 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 that, for lack of a better word, feminine shift doesn't always work. And I saw that several times towards the ending. Yeah, yeah, I think we, the viewers, may have seen that, but did the characters ever acknowledge that? That's a good question, uh, which I have no answer. Right. And and listen, that, John, I think I know what you're referring to, and there was definitely one tactic that I think was a disaster, and, and there is some acknowledgement but uh and John thank you for the call but but if you go to the central character and the central theme of the movie uh the central character is a woman and uh she just through her own intuition and inner knowledge is able to school and and correct and instruct and better a jedi who has been studying almost his entire life on the ways of the force and he was wrong and she was right just because she knew inside Come on, man. <laughs> Sam in Lincoln, Nebraska. You're next up on the Mark Levin show. Uh, hi. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm 20 and I, I've liked Star Wars for my entire life. And when I saw the last one, I, I could already see the, the feminization, how, how you say it. Yeah. Um, and it, and then I, and then I see this one and through the theater, I wanted to just kind of get up and walk out. Like uh. it doesn't even seem like Star Wars to me. It's, it, I, I also think that I maybe this is stretched too far, but I think that the all the other lead roles are not white men unless it's the bad guys. Yeah, that is not not completely, but I get what you're saying, Sam. Thank you for that. Sort of makes you miss Jar Jar Binks. Oh, coming up, I want to hear from cops. Why do you think police killings are down? show where we create the talking points call in now 877-381-3811 people on social media not very thrilled with me bringing up jar jar binks there at the end i'm sorry you can uh, give me a uh, crap about it as well i'm on twitter larry o'connor or on facebook the larry o'connor that's with an o-r i'm sorry about the jar jar binks reference but 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 here's the good news for all the social justice warriors out there i'm pretty sure jar jar was gay or transgender, or or trans species, or something. I'm not sure, but um, but 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 he checks off a box of some kind. I'm sure. So uh, let's set aside the Jar Jar Binks thing for a moment, shall we? I'm Larry O'Connor, sitting in for the great one, Mark Levin. I do talk radio in Washington D.C. on WMAL every day in the afternoon, leading into Mark. So I love listening to Mark, just like you love listening to Mark. Uh, by the way, I also want to point out I am broadcasting today. From the, the center of our nation, the heartland, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, KTOK, the mighty 1000 AM. And boy, the hospitality here has been fantastic. Uh, so, uh, listen, Boomer Sooner and all that jazz here in Oklahoma. It's a great place to be. The Tex-Mex is best at Ted's and the Brahms burgers can't be beat. Now, uh, one of the great things about doing talk radio I've learned over the last several years is that law enforcement, uh, police officers, uh, those in uniform uh, and and those who work in law enforcement in other capacities are huge fans of this medium. They love talk radio. They don't always agree with everything, but we are blessed 
with having law enforcement as a big part of our audience. And so I would like to draw on that right now. I would like to hear from law enforcement because there is a fantastic development in a very grim statistic that we always take toll of at the end of every year, and that is the number of cops that were killed in the line of duty. And this year, President Trump's first year in office, that number has now dropped to a near 50-year low. It, it is a remarkable thing. After three years of growth in this horrible, horrible uh, statistic, we have actually seen a huge drop. And there are a lot of theories about why that is. I'll lay a lot of them out here for you, but let's face it, I, I think we'd all like to hear from cops. I'd like to hear from cops. I'd like to hear from you. You should tell us why you think this is. What's different? What's changed? Why do you think the number of cops killed in 2017 has hit a uh, a, a near 50-year low? 877-381-3811. You teach us something here. What are the conversations you're having at the station? What is different this year than we've seen in the last several years. Uh, do you think that's it? Or is it just a statistical anomaly? 877-381-3811. A couple of ideas. Uh, the first one is rather obvious. We've got a leader, we've got a commander-in-chief, a president who made this a central core issue of his campaign, bringing back law and order to this country and not cozying up to uh, destructive groups like Black Lives Matter. I mean, compare this to Loretta Lynch, Eric Holder, and Barack Obama. Barack Obama, the President of the United States, the chief law enforcement of uh, agent in our land, he actually celebrated Black Lives Matter. He, he honored them with an invitation, multiple invitations, to meet at the White House. It, it was sending a signal at the highest level that uh, the, the kind of destructive rhetoric that we heard from this group, whose intentions may have been honorable, I'm not so sure, but uh, many of the people who, who agreed and marched with Black Lives Matter said, well, of course Black Lives Matter, I'm going to join them, I'm not going to be against the idea of Black Lives Mattering. Well, the leadership, I think, had some more dubious, dubious uh, uh, agendas, and uh, one of them was to undermine law enforcement and to put a target on the back of law enforcement in many respects. And I think that that's why we saw, sadly, so much happening with our law enforcement officers in the last several years uh, being targeted literally for death. Uh, did the leadership change at the top of our federal government make a difference there? or Or have there been reforms put in place by the Obama Justice Department. The reforms that took place while Obama and Loretta Lynch were in charge, did that change the way police officers interact with members of the communities that they police? And because of those changes that were put in place, that has reduced the hostilities between the criminal elements in our country and police officers. And because of that, this is a success story for the Obama administration, and their policies are actually now uh, reaping some sort of uh, real tangible results that have allowed for less police officers to be in the line of fire. Or, or how about this? Are cops actually changing the way they interact? Are they, are they being a little more hands-off? Are cops basically saying, you know what, it's going to be safer for me. Why bother? I don't want to be the cop involved in the next Ferguson. Why, why should I put myself on the line? Why should I put my reputation on the line? Why should I do what a cop should do and actually go after 
the bad guy, actually investigate criminal behavior, actually police the neighborhood that I'm in charge of. If I assert myself, if I actually use the good policing techniques that I've learned, well, I'll be the next cop in the line of fire of uh, uh, of Ferguson or name whatever scandal you want to put out there. Everyone will call me and my fellow cops racist, so why bother? Why bother? Why get my hands dirty? I got no support anyway from the media or from the community. I'm just going to, you know, do the least that I need to do to get the job done and uh, whatever. I see the cops that I know, they wouldn't do that. But maybe that's why. Maybe they've just decided not worth it. Not worth the effort, not worth the danger, not worth the criticism and the slander that I'll deal with. So instead, I'm just going to be a little bit more hands-off. And because of that and because of the, the reduction of engagement by police officers in the communities that they police, that has uh, benefited them in the long run by uh, not being killed in action, as they had at the levels over the last three years when our president at the time embraced Black Lives Matter. What do you think? I want to hear from law enforcement, 877-381-3811. How about, we'll start with Greg. Spencer, Indiana, the Hoosier State. Greg, uh, you are on the Mark Levin Show. Well, hello there. Hey. Hey, yeah, I believe I'm, well, I could go on for hours, but I think you've hit on all the points. The only point that I don't agree with that has moved uh, any of this is that there's some credit to be given to the Obama administration and Loretta Lynch. No, never. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I threw it out uh, there as an option. I want to be fair and yeah, balanced. Right. Um, I, I think I, okay. I worked, I retired from Washington, DC. I worked in the highest crime area there for 22 years. I then, uh, worked at one of the major universities in the country and re- and did 20 years there and retired. So I've seen it from different parts of the liberal communities. Yeah. Um, one thing I tell everybody is that this uh, hatred, the aggressiveness, the uh, everything is racial thing has since the early 70s been going on in the inner city. Barack Obama just brought it nationwide uh, and brought it out of the inner cities. Hmm. And it's because I've I've seen it since the 70s. Everything we did was because of race. Um, And I'm I'm also for decades now, uh, you know, my my family is interracial. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's no explanation. You cannot ever tell a person that you're not racist they will not believe it you know no matter what your background is what your family is what you are well it's, it's well of course and how does one actually prove that one is not right. racist? it's impossible right. greg greg and spencer indiana thanks for starting us off here i appreciate it. and thank you for your years of service as uh, law enforcement uh i think you hit on some very good points there uh kevin in queens new york uh, yeah, listen, New York City had some pretty good uh, stats this year with regard to your crime rate. Uh, and I saw your your Mayor de Blasio out there taking credit for it, Kevin. What do you think? Yeah, I know he likes to take credit for everything. But uh, the, the thing is that there was so much hard work done under the previous administrations prior to him. Uh, you got to remember, people do more than uh, four years for a robbery or, or a homicide. Or, you know, they're, they're not doing uh, a short time. So a lot of the people that... Uh, been arrested under the previous administrations for their crimes are still in. 
So that's one point. Under Giuliani and Bloomberg, yeah. Correct. Now, another point I'd like to make is, you know, under the Obama administration, he created a lot of hesitation. Uh, people second-guessed themselves, you know, so tactics might have, uh, you know, taken a little bit of a hit. And, uh, you know, but under President Trump, I, I do feel that uh, everybody that I work with um, has a lot more confidence and, uh, you know, knowing that the president of the United States has your back. Oh, that's interesting. In the laws. So it's not necessarily, you know, a change in rules of engagement or policies, you know, uh, from the Justice Department or more uh, applicable in your case, uh, Kevin, uh, from the NYPD. It's a question of if something bad happens, if something makes the headlines, you're not going to have your, your president has your back. Your president is not going to go out there and undermine you, throw you under the bus the way his predecessor did. Correct. And I believe, you know, in here in New York, uh, during, you know, our current uh, mayor, uh, there's been a lot of changes to kind of make our job a little bit more difficult because, you know, th there's been a change in how uh, policing happens here. Yeah. And yet, uh, you know, I feel that under this, you know, presidential administration, we still stick together and we get the job done uh, regardless of the changes that we have to deal with. All right. Kevin in Queens listening on the legendary WABC. Thanks for calling in today to the Mark Levin Show. I want to get as many law enforcement in here because I think it is a mixed bag. I don't think there's one solution. I think that there's a, a, there's a bit of a, a combo platter here, and I would love to hear uh, all of your ideas as to why now uh, we've got it. By the way, when I say it's a near 50-year low, here's the ironic thing. The lowest figure... In this very grim statistic, the annual number of cops killed in the line of duty, the lowest year, not too long ago, it was 2013. It was 2013, but then suddenly, in the next three years, a huge spike year after year after year. And, and to me, in my opinion, the rise of Black Lives Matter and the rise of uh, criticism of law enforcement as, as murdering racists that we heard from the mainstream media and from the highest levels of our federal government, that had to be, had to be part of why you saw the rise in cops losing their lives while wearing the badge. I mean, let's face it, uh, you know, in, in 2016, five in Dallas in one night at the hands of a terrorist maniac who wanted to kill cops. Cops, by the way, who were working to protect Black Lives Matter protesters. People forget that part. Those five cops in Dallas who died that night at the hands of a sniper, they were doing their job that night, and their job was to protect Black Lives Matter's protesters. A despicable, despicable thing. Bob, in L.A., you are next up on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hi, Bob. Hey, Larry. How are you doing this I'm evening? I'm good. What do you think of this? Are you a law enforcement uh, officer? Yeah, I got 30 years on the job. Thank uh, you know, for about uh, less than a year. Um, been through the 92 riots here in L.A. Uh, oh, I remember those. Street cop. Yeah, <laughs> uh, street cop for about 20 of those years. Um, what I see is that uh, some of the limitations that are put on the cops by the video bo uh, body-worn cameras, um, police commission, our local government here, uh, you know, uh, is in line with the um, the state. Uh, I guess in January they're going to go into the uh, what is it called? The uh, tongue tied now um, sanctuary state. So when, uh -huh. when you see that wave of liberalism, and uh, a lot of cops are conservative, and you know, I listen to Mark every day. Um, you know, you'd have to be somewhat of a dummy to go out there and just 
put your family and your life on the line unless it's absolutely necessary. I'm not saying that the guys don't do it. They do. They just have to watch their back a little bit more these days. And so I think because you don't go into the wall or through the door as much as you used to, yeah, that's going to that's going to reduce your chances of getting shot or injured uh, uh, or your partner. So I, I think that has a lot to do with it. See, uh, you know, I, and I raise that as as one of the possible reasons here. And I don't I, I think that there's a big part of that as well, Bob. I appreciate it. Bob in L.A. listening on the great KRLA in Los Angeles. All right. I want to hear more from law enforcement uh, at 877-381-3811. Uh, killing of cops down to a near 50-year low. Why do you think that is? And by the way, what you just heard from Bob, echoed by Randy Sutton, spokesman for Blue Lives Matter. Uh, he commented on this and he said, you know, cops right now, uh, they're saying you can't get into trouble for the car stop you don't make. And they don't want to be the next Ferguson. They don't want to be the next officer burned at the mainstream media stake. And so they're just not engaging the way they used to. That could be it. What do you think? 877-381-3811. I'm Larry O'Connor. This is the Mark Levin Show. Mark Levin. Any cop losing his life is a tragedy, but uh, we did see, get good news this year, 2017, Trump's first year in office, and that is that the uh, deaths of police officers in the line of duty has fallen to a near 50-year low. And I'm asking you, law enforcement, why do you think that is? There's a lot of theories out there, and it could just be, you know, a statistical anomaly. Who knows? I hope it's not. I hope it continues on a downtrend, but why do you think? Uh, Dr. Kovacs is now on the Mark Levin Show. He's calling from Owasso, Oklahoma. I'm in Oklahoma at KTOK. How's it going, Doctor? Good, Larry. Doing good, thank you. Thanks. Well, what do you think? Well, I'm telling you, let me tell you from a uh, reserve police officer perspective. Ten years on the force as a reserve officer. I was a uh, medical director for the city of Owasso's medical uh uh, ambulance service and fire department, and we were cleat certified, fully uh, licensed, and did all the uh, actions and uh, you would require from a full-time police officer. Okay, so... I ended up retiring recently because, and you may remember, not recently we had a Tulsa police reserve yes. officer who accidentally shot a uh, suspect when he thought he was reaching for his. Uh, yeah. His taser. Yes, I do. <laughs> and what happened was is that just about all the other uh, police agencies suddenly shut down the reserve departments. Even though that was an isolated incident, we found ourselves basically ending up directing traffic, which really uh, you know didn't shine very highly on, on our, our history in the past. So, so why what changed this year then, Dr. Kovacs? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with Trump. I think, you know, we have a federal aspect here where we're getting some support from the federal agencies. And, and you know, Trump's a big law enforcement guy. All right. And he certainly has supported. The so you agree? You think that the sim signal has been sent and that there's more respect for police officers and police officers are in a better place to do their job? Uh, thank you for the call, Doctor. I want to get as many as I can. i got time for one more. Jeff in Clover, Wisconsin, you're on the Mark Levin Show. I'm Larry O'Connor. Hi, uh, 
If there is a difference, uh, my opinion would be that uh, a lot of the targets been taken off of the backs of police officers by Trump himself. It seems like uh, police for the last several years have been the villain du jour, so to speak. And uh, now that Trump's in office and oh, yeah. constant negative Trump, you know, that, that cheerleading against police officers is gone. That's brilliant. They can't walk and chew gum at the same time. They can't beat up on cops and beat up on Trump at the same time. Trump's taking the, sh- the, uh, the, 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 the heat for you. Thanks for the call, Jeff, and thanks to Mark Levin.